You're listening to the Twisted Sisters podcast with Allie, a fiery realtor queen, and Samantha, a gypsy wandering her way through life while navigating being a rock star woman with ADHD. Both are former teen moms of two who have faced challenging adversities. They're here to break stereotypes, get real with you about the messiness of life, and remind you that we're all just a little twisted. Hello, everybody. This is Samantha Mello. I am one of your co-hosts on the Twisted Sisters podcast, which you are listening to. And I am going to be doing a solo podcast today. We are giving Allie a little mental and family break after all of her birthday shenanigans and all the good stuff. So letting her focus on work a little bit more this week. And I am going to talk about my life a little bit and we are actually gonna dig into my partner and the father of my daughter Matthew James Slaby's death in which he committed suicide um I am going to talk about my story a little bit and I'm feeling very vulnerable. I am a little uh, emotional. I'm not going to lie about it. But I know that it is going to help people. And it's going to help you better understand me and better understand others. And I know that my story isn't the only one. And I'm hoping and praying that this can give hope to others. Um, In my story, I would say, and in my healing process, I have found a lot of information. I've found that it's, it's interesting how many people actually really deal with mental illness. Um, after struggling it with it myself, after Matt passed, um, helped me almost better understand him and what led him to the choices that he made in his life. And um, I'm going to start off here with just some 2022 mental health statistics. Um, in 2019, just prior to COVID-19 pandemic, 19.86% of adults experienced a mental illness equivalent to nearly 50 million Americans. Um, suicide, suicidal ideation continues to increase among adults in the U.S. 4.58% of adults report having serious thoughts of suicide, an increase of 664,000 people from last year's data. The national rate of suicide ideation among adults has increased every year since 2011 and 2012. This was the largest increase they had seen in reports. It's crazy. COVID-19 really... Let's be real, it's messed with a lot of people. You can't be alone. You can't be isolated, um, especially when you're dealing with some of this stuff. It's interesting. A growing percentage of youth in the U.S. live with major depression. 15.08% of youth experienced a major depressive episode in the last year. 
Um, that's an increase of 1.24% last year's data set. Over 2.5 million youth have severe depression and are multiracial youth. They're at much greater risk at 10.6% of the youth that have severe depression. I mean, and 14.5% are more likely, or I would say 14.5% of them identify as more than one race. Over half of adults with mental illness do not receive treatment, totaling over 27 million adults in the U.S. who are going untreated. It's tough, you guys. Like, I mean, there's just stat after stat of this. It's crazy. Nearly 50 million Americans experienced mental illness in 2019. More than half of adults with mental illness do not receive treatment, which I said, which is totaling over 27 million U.S. adults. 11.1% um, of Americans are men with mental illness are uninsured. I mean, 8.1% of children have had private insurance that did not cover mental illness services, totaling 950,000 youth in America. It's just kind of startling. Um, the top, I don't know if you guys know this, but we the states are ranked in like the top states of mental illness, top states for suicide, all of that. And for mental illness, number six is actually Minnesota. Number five sits New York. Number four is Connecticut. Number three, and don't judge me when I say this, is Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Um, number two is Wisconsin. Number one is New Jersey. And the top 10 states for highest suicide rates, which I found interesting that they don't really match up with the mental illness side. And number 10 sits Oregon. Number nine, and this is the highest suicide rates in America, number nine is Idaho. Number eight is Oklahoma. Number seven is South Dakota. Number six is Utah. Number five is Colorado. Number four is New Mexico. Number three, Montana. Number two, Alaska. And number one is Wyoming. Suicide is the 12th leading cause of death in the U.S. as of 2020. In 2020, 45,979 Americans died by suicide. And in 2020, 1.2 million people attempted suicide. The rate of suicide is highest among middle-aged white men, sitting at 69.68%. In 2020, Men died by suicide 3.88 times more than women. And on average, there are 130 suicides per day. So this was in 2020. Um, it was hard to find up to date, like for 2022. Um, but something tells me, well, first off, you know, my Matthew is part of these statistics. Um. That's hard to say. 
And something tells me I don't want to see the statistics for 2022 because, man, I have a feeling it's not going to look good. You guys, we all know, like, suicide is not one size fits all. This is a tricky one, right? Um, People often say it's selfish or um, they can't believe somebody would do that to other people. And we have to remember that they do not do this to hurt anybody else. Um, This is often because they are feeling like the world is better off without them. And I know it's hard to understand mental illness when you haven't gone through it or been at a place like that. It's hard to wrap your head around why you can see somebody one day and they're happy and smiling and you leave them and you find out that they took their life that night. Um, And you wonder, what could I have done differently? What happened in that time frame? And we'll never know. The more people talk about their stories and talk about, I would say, this faux pas word, suicide, the more I think we will shed light into the different areas and different things to look out for in our family and in our friends and in our kids and people around us and even in ourselves that we might not even recognize is heading in that direction. A lot of times, people don't see another way out. They don't see anything else. It's like you're in this dark room and you can't find a door. Even though there's a door right there, you can't see it. It's dark. And we have tools. We have things we can use. But when you're in those moments, you don't always recognize that. And you don't always have the strength to go and to look and to find it. And sometimes... We look for help, and unfortunately, it's not available to us in the way that we wish it was. Um, I don't know what it's like to want to attempt suicide, so I can't speak on behalf of that. I don't, um, I know what it's like to not want to feel anymore, I know what it's like to have my heart um, broke open and just be like, I could care less if I died tomorrow. Um, I could care less what happens to me because I can't feel this anymore. I've been in those dark places of just not, I remember just wanting to feel like two seconds of peace, just two seconds of like just not that heaviness on my chest and not have such grief and hurt and pain. Um, I know that feeling. And I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people hear my story and they think, oh, yeah, like you have a legit reason. Um, But everybody's reason is valid to them. And you have to remember that. Um, People would often ask like, well, how did... How did he die? And I would say, does that matter? He's gone. 
you know, does it matter how the person died? Whether Does it justify how much you care for the person that you're talking to? Does it change how much um, grace or, you know, what you do for that person? If it dies, like, that should be an issue. It shouldn't be an issue. It should, you shouldn't do that, right? But I think so often we... Th- we're so conditioned a certain way in um, trying to understand what happened. And I find myself trying to explain my story or explain Matthew to people and explain the type of person he actually was so that he's not viewed in a different light. But at the same point, my battle with myself is he made his choices, he made his decision. And I got no say in that, right. But I do have my story. And I can talk about my story. And I can talk about the things that I went through. And um, still show respect and love to him that he does deserve. But at the same point, there were things that happened and there were things leading up to it that were not the best. And it's okay for me to talk about and we're all human. And so I just want to tell anybody who's going to be listening, if you're going to judge or you're going to do that, take a good look at yourself first before you listen to some of these stories and make comments or make harsh judgments and um, just remember we're all human and we're all doing the best we can with what we know how and I'm going to be vulnerable and share some of my story and I just want the same respect and um, not that everybody has to agree with me or love me or um, be proud of me but I would like to keep any negative comments or um, any negative judgments towards him or the situation or I at bay and uh, just have an open heart and have an open mind and take this as a learning process for yourself in maybe an area that you don't really quite understand. And if I'm being honest, and I'm going to get emotional, I'm really... I'm so glad you don't ever have to understand this or feel this. Um, I don't ever want anybody to feel this. But for those of you who have, and for those of you who are going through some type of situation, like I said, it's all over the board. You're not alone. And... You are loved and there is outlets and there are people around to help. Please, please reach out and know that you are loved. Please fight those reoccurring thoughts and those reoccurring darkness that it's not the truth. And we are here and I have resources. I have people that I can connect you with. And um, please reach out to us.
We love to connect people to others and we love to connect business and emotional, whatever. We have connections all over the board while doing this and it's been one of the coolest, I would say, outcomes of starting this podcast that I absolutely love and admire is making these connections with people and being able to send anybody in a whatever direction they need to go and give them valid um, help. So please, please, please reach out. With that being said, um, I just want to kind of talk about the days and the weeks leading up to what happened. It's often kind of confusing, right? Because on social media and I mean, honestly, real life for him and I, we had just had a baby and we were happy. We were like he, we were in the hospital and, um, you know, I, in my, if you guys want to learn more of my story, please go to my episode three and you'll learn how just kind of my timeline goes and you'll learn some information. I don't want to backtrack too much. Uh, because that kind of takes away uh, some of what I want to talk about today. But um, I had a tough pregnancy with my daughter, and we had her, and Matt was absolutely incredible. Prior to that, he had relapsed, and he had been trying to get into a, well, let's back up. Matt struggled with drugs and alcohol addiction. Um, His addiction was different. His addiction, he could go a few months and not even drink really or um, not do anything and then he would, something would trigger him, he would get stressed out at work, something would happen and he would relapse and he would relapse for about two, three days, he would just go hard. So he would relapse hard, he would come back, he would be sad, remorseful go through the process, apologize for all of his behaviors, apologize for the things he did, and then we would start over, right? So then it would be like, here's my boundaries. Here's the things that you are not, you know, like I am not going to take anymore and you need to get help. And I am, I will. And it would start off with that because he truly genuinely wanted to change. And he wanted his family. He loved us more than anything And I know the type of man he was. He was such an amazing guy. There was like nothing this guy couldn't do. He he loved us with everything he had. And, you know, I can tell you that me and the kids, we know that. He showed us in many, many, many different ways every day how much he loved us. And um, not only with the things he did, but he was just a big lover. He loved... His favorite thing was movie nights and we would all hop in bed and it'd be all of us kids and all the dogs, did both dogs and the cat and my pregnant belly and we would all sit in there and watch a movie with popcorn and snacks and the boys would mess with Lorelai and my belly. They'd poke at her and she'd kick them and we'd laugh and it was just a beautiful time. It really was. Um, So... But we wouldn't have gotten to that position had he not hit kind of the wall that he did. He had one relapse. It was um, the 
July before we had Lorelai. So it would have been July 2019. And um, I said, that's it. I'm done. Like, we can't do this. I'm pregnant. Um, this is serious, right? Uh, and we have the kids and you've just, you've done so good. And there's a pattern here at this point. You can't change it on your own. You need help. And he agreed. Um, we looked for help. We searched, we called inpatient, outpatient. We tried everything. We contacted the county. We were in contact with, um, counselors just trying to find anything and something for him in that time because he needed it and we couldn't get him in anywhere and if we could it was the most of I mean it was such an obscene amount of money there was no way we could afford it we were already falling behind with me being in the hospital and out of work he was our sole provider not only was he running his construction company, but oftentimes he had a choice. He had to be in the hospital with me and I'm in a near life or death situation or he had to be working and making money. And um, those two always didn't always work out together. And um, one thing I am so blessed by and I'll never forget is that he chose to be with me every time in Lorelei. Excuse me, sorry. That man never left my side. Um, he held my hand through every procedure. He was my advocate, my biggest advocate to the doctors and to the nurses. He remembered information that I don't even know how. Um, he even helped. <laughs> this is so crazy. One, we had, I'm sorry, I'm crying. Um, had a hard time with my pain management. It's a little side story. And um, he goes, well, why can't you guys just give her like an epidural like you do when, you know, they have the babies and stuff. And it was like this light bulb went off in the doctor's head that we're talking to. And he looked at us and he's like, you guys are in the hospital anyways, aren't you? And we're like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, why don't we just do that? And they ended up giving me this epidural. It was called a walking epidural. And it was, oh my God, a godsend. I had lived in so much pain for so long. To actually not have pain was like, I actually could sleep. I was moving. It was incredible. And the doctors actually came in and they go, you guys literally created a new pain management that we've never even really considered in these situations and they're like we're like literally thinking about naming it mellow you know something and it was just super funny and they were serious and Matt I go you should name it Slaby because that's that's him that was all him that was just how his mind worked and um, it was incredible and so you know but he like we all do, you know, we make choices in life and some of his choices when he was younger were kind of coming back to haunt him and you can only run away from things for so long. So he hit a point. This was a turning point in his life and I had to lay down some hard truths of like, we can't raise a family and I do not want to raise a family in this situation of wondering 
whether or not you're going to come home or if this was the night you're going to relapse. And I know I have no control over that, but I needed some consistency and I needed more than, you know, the few months of consistency that he was able to give. So um, he decided, yes, I, I ended up going in the hospital. So out went the idea of treatment. We couldn't get him in anywhere. We couldn't afford to. And I was in the hospital. So now, honestly, it was like one of the best distractions, I think, for him. He had to just stand up and he was there and he had a purpose. Um, and his purpose was to help keep me alive, which in turn kept our baby alive. And he did an amazing job um, because... Let me tell you, I was a raging bitch. I was not in a good place. Um, a lot of times I was in so much pain and he would cry with me. He would get me ice. He would just, he just did anything and everything. And it was, um, I, Lorelai would not be here today if we didn't have him. So, um, yes, it's a blessing. I miss him sometimes very much. Sorry. So fast forward a little bit. We had our beautiful baby girl. We did it, right? We got her out and we were in the hospital, but for about a week after we had her, Lorelai had to go to the NICU. I had to get my tube out. There was just a lot of different things that were being taken care of, but praise Jesus, I got my tube out. The kidney stones were out. Um, Lorelai had, I was on narcotics most of my pregnancy because of all the pain and having to go under and everything. So they had to watch her. Plus she was premature because I, uh, my body couldn't take anymore, and so they had to induce me in order to have her. So they had to watch her in the NICU, and, um, you know, him and I were talking one night, and he was just like, you know, I just, just struggle. He goes, I'm the happiest I've ever been. I have the family I've always wanted. I have this amazing, beautiful woman in my life, and... We are in the worst position financially I have ever been in. And we are in the worst, you know, work situation I had ever been in. And it was true. We were struggling so bad financially. Um, we couldn't catch up. It was just things were catching up with us and it was really hard. Um, and I think we were both just thinking how are we going to bring this baby back home? <laughs> like, how are we going to do this and support her? Like, we just created this family and now we can't even keep it going. Like, it was just one of those things that we had for surely were stressed out about. Um, But... It just gives you an insight of to where his head was at. He was the happiest. We were so happy. But at the same point, we were scared and we were nervous. And um, we didn't have a lot of hope in some areas. So 
we get home and we have her and we have to get back into real life. And, you know, now that do or die kind of mode he was in is relaxed and we're able to kind of dig into life again. And um, you could see the stress building on him. You know, work was struggling because he wasn't able to be there um, and get new leads and start new projects. You know, there was just a lot. It was a lot. I can't even get into it all. And um, I could see it building. I got nervous. Uh, He, in turn, had decided to do Bible study with my dad and one of our friends, one of my dad's best friends, Ray, and another gentleman who... I was also a recovering addict and they would meet once a week and they were doing this and it was going very well. Um, He would come back from these just happy and ready and it seemed like any time he would have a good day like this, the next day, boom, another, you know, thing would drop. It would be another issue, another thing and another bill would come, right? And it just felt like we were no longer spinning in place where we're rolling backwards and um it was tough it's really tough when you're in those situations and we had christmas come and it was both of us looked at each other because we'd never been and granted like i'd been a single mom my whole life and all of that but i had never been in a situation where um we literally couldn't afford gifts for our kids. Um, we maybe had like $50 for each kid. Uh, and that was it. And it was like startling. Um, and it was a hard pill to swallow on like how to maneuver through this. Um, and it's also really hard because in his head, I see him playing over all the things he should have done differently in his life, right? He's like, I made so much money and I just pissed it down the drain back, you know, in the day. And here I have everything I've ever wanted and I can't support you guys and I can't do it. And I just, he was very honest with me about this stuff. And we were very honest with each other about a lot of it. And we couldn't do it, you know? And, uh, He was like, I need to, I got to plow. I think I have to plow. And that was a trigger for him. So it was one of those things where I go, you know your sobriety. You know yourself. I can't tell you whether you can or can't do anything. I'm not going to. And I don't want to be that person. So you know yourself. You know what you can and can't do. And I trust you. So, and if you screw up, you know, you know what's going to happen. And we had set some boundaries together. We set guidelines that if he relapsed, if things like this happened again, that I had to leave with the kids and he either had to get treatment and move on and he would have to do it himself. I couldn't do any of it for him. And he agreed to all of it. We wrote it down. We talked about it and um, it was a mutual decision. And so um, we had Christmas, and honestly, it was ended up being one of the best Christmases we'd ever had. It was interesting. We had this beautiful baby girl, and we did it all, and we were so happy. And I just remember we stay at my parents' for Christmas, and he, like, did not want to go home. He just wanted to stay longer, and I was like, okay. And we stayed longer and longer until it was going to snow, and he had to go plow. And I told him, I said, you know, 
Are you sure you want to go do this? Like, you don't have to. Like, we'll figure it out. We'll move if we need to. Like, and he was like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm, I'm good. We're good. I love you guys. And he gave us all a big hug and a kiss and he left. And I got a phone call from him and I knew immediately that he had relapsed. And it broke my heart because I knew in that moment that I had to follow through with what we had decided. And um, unfortunately, the drugs that he liked made him a completely different person. And he was very angry. I'd never seen him this angry before. And I had to call my dad and my mom, and I had to admit that this had happened. And that was even harder in itself um, to have to admit defeat and have to admit that um, he had made this choice. And now I had a newborn and, and I had my son. And now I had to protect us from the person that loves us, you know, in a weird way. And we needed help. Um, and all the ideas that I had had of starting a new family and all this was just not even close to what I wanted it to be. And, uh, my, my dad came immediately and he got us and we left and we went to my parents and, um, I had a friend, strangely, she was coming out to visit us from California and she was there. And, um, so I'm just trying to balance everything, right? Like trying to keep it cool and not let the kids know what's going on, but also keep us safe. And then also, enjoy the time with our friends and family that are visiting and um, as well as be a mom to a newborn. It was crazy hard. Um, anyways, Matt came down from his high and obviously was extremely remorseful, extremely sad and knew that he had to make changes and he knew that he had to do it on his own. Um, so he spent those next days and that was the next day, I would say, in the next whole day or and a half to himself. Uh, he ended up meeting us that Friday. Um, it was a Friday. It was three days later, Friday. And he met us at the Mall of America with our friends. And he came and he spent the day with us. And he was sober. And um, we had a great day. It was really hard because I was so angry with him. But at the same point, it was like something in me just kind of said, like, just put the shit aside for today. Just put the shit aside and enjoy this time with him. And we did. And it was hard. I'm not going to lie. It was really hard. Um, but we loved, he, we, I let him love on me. And he loved on Lorelai. And he loved on Hayden. And he loved on us. And, um. I didn't know that that was the last time we would see him. He left um, that night. And it was really hard to let him go because I so badly wanted to love him through it. I wanted to be 
there like I had always been before, but I knew that I couldn't. It wasn't healthy for either of us, and I honestly had nothing to give. I couldn't. And um, he left, and I know he left with good intentions for himself, but as any of us know, when you're dealing with mental illness and addiction, that doesn't always win. And he left that night and he took all of our rent money (laughs) and he relapsed and um, spent that Saturday. We were in contact, but um, I had to separate from him for a little bit. Um, so finally Saturday night he contacted me and he'd end up back at our house and, um, we had been in contact and it was so weird because he would call me and he would be like one minute he'd be angry. The next minute he would be like lucid and himself and remorseful and understand. And I just would constantly say the, the phrase that I would say is we love you. I want the best for you, but we need you healthy. I need you to get healthy so that we can have our family, so that we can do this together. And um, I, I just constantly said, I love you. I love you still. I know that I can't be with you right now because of the choices that are being made, but I still love you. And I'm here, and I answered every call. Every time he called, I answered it. And my mom would be like, why? You know, and I'd be like, because I just... He's tormented right now. He's struggling with a lot of demons. And it was hard to witness. But I knew that we were his only hope at the same point. Um, I could see him coming down. And the more and more lucid he would get. And uh, we got into the morning hours of Sunday morning. And I was supposed to bring my friends to the airport. And my mom's like, you know what, I will. She knew that I was having a hard time, not to mention I'm dealing with a newborn, colicky newborn. So she decided to take them to the airport, and my son decided to go to church with my parents. And I got a text from Matt, and it said, um, I want you guys to know that I love you so much. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me, Samantha Mello. He said... You give our beautiful baby girl a big hug from her daddy and kiss. And you let her know how much I love you. And I love her. And you tell our boys, I'm so proud of them. And I knew instantly something wasn't right. So I hopped in my car. My mom did not want me to go by myself to the house, but I hopped in my car as soon as they left with Lorelai, and I went straight to the house. Um, When I pulled up, I was hoping so badly. For some reason, I was like, I just don't want to open the garage, and I was hoping that there was a car gone. In my head, I was like, he's too selfish to do this. I think he's just going to take off and maybe live in his addiction for a while is what I thought was going to happen. So I was hoping one of the cars was gone and maybe that was just what was going on because I did not want the inevitable. And from that text, I just knew 
so I pulled in. And I'm sorry if this is explicit for anybody. So just a warning. Um, I pulled up. I didn't even pull my driveway. And I put the car in park. I didn't even turn it off. And I grabbed Lorelei out. And I opened the garage door. And I didn't see it at first. But then I saw him. And he was gone. Um, he was cold. And I... I knew it. Um, I kept Lorelai twisted and I screamed and yelled and um, thought about all the things I should do in that moment. And it was like, do I, do I cut him down? Do I, what do I do? I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know at all. Um, and I called 911. They wanted me to stay on the line and I hung up on them because I knew these were the last moments I was ever going to have with him. And, um, I had, I, I literally know that, um, thank God for our human anatomy because my heart was broken that day. Um, many, many, many pieces. In the text that he had sent us, he told me that he wanted me to stop by and pick up a letter. So that's why um, I forgot that part. He, that's why I thought um, maybe he had taken off. So I searched the house before the EMTs got there for these letters because I knew he had written us a letter. And I am going to read it to you guys. This is a very personal letter, but... I just want to share it. So he used to call me his cute, sexy nerd because he'd be like, you're the hottest nerd I've ever met, you know? And it was pretty funny, but he said, dear cute, sexy nerd, you're the most amazing woman I've ever met in my life. I'm sorry. Our baby girl is so beautiful and just the most precious thing I've ever seen. You are such an amazing mother. Hayden is so kind, loving, handsome, charming, and just an amazing young man. I love you all with all my heart. I'm sorry for being an addict. I'm sorry for all those nights that I abandoned you. I know it tore you to pieces. I regret every single second of hurting you. Whether it was emotionally or physically, I'm sorry I couldn't pull it together. I tried. I really did try, Samantha. I deep down really wanted the family life. But I couldn't pull my shit together soon enough. This hurts so much. And I'm so sorry for doing it. But I can't keep hurting you and everyone around me with my problems. I don't want Lorelai to grow up with me. An addict father on and off with drugs. I'm sorry for the impact this will have on everyone. I love you so hard. This hurts. You're a handsome stud. You guys, nobody wants to do this. Nobody wants to do it for selfish reasons. We do it because we know the impact that we're having on other people around us. I'm sorry. I 
am on here sharing my story because I know that there's people out there who are in this same place. And I want you to know that there is hope. I believe that there was nothing I could do to change it, the situation or him or his mind. Had he been in a clear state of mind, I think things would have been different, yes. But they weren't, and that wasn't his story. But he loved us hard, and he loved us strong. And I don't ever want him to be betrayed as somebody who did this selfishly because it was one of the most unselfish things I had ever witnessed in my life. Don't get me wrong. This has been a process. This has been a process of getting through this and getting on the other side of this grief and this pain because unfortunately, when somebody takes their lives, their pain isn't just evaporated. It is put on to those who are left here without them. And Not only do I carry this pain, but his family and his kids and his friends carry this pain now. And we have to learn how to deal with this pain. And we have to learn how to change. How to change for our children and how to change for the people around us so that this does not continue on. And I can tell you that I refuse to let addiction and suicide take anything else from me and my family as you guys know this doesn't just go away um this has been a process and so what I am trying to do with sharing my story on this is just um just to show you where I'm at now didn't come easy. Not that I think anybody thinks that, but, um, you know, after finding him came having to make the dreadful calls, having to call his parents and hear their terrible cries and screams, call each friend and hear their terrible cries and screams and call his son's mother and, having this conversation over and over with people and um it was one of the most horrific things I've ever been through it is the most horrific thing I've ever been through um because there's so much more with this and um I'm not gonna lie grief is crazy I've been very angry and hateful at him and then there's times where I had missed him so much that I, it just hurts. Um, I miss his laugh and I miss his smile and I miss all the things. But I don't miss the things that came with the addiction side of things either. Um, but learning who I am after all of this and having to honestly like being a mom throughout this is what really kept me I would say going and moving forward and not 
being so stuck in self-sabotage mode of like not wanting to feel and not wanting to or not being able to be present in life because I just didn't have the capability to um and um having people who supported me and helped me at times but um my kids are definitely what kept me moving forward I don't think if I know if I didn't have them I would not be in the place I'm at today um with just my healing and I my purpose that I, my newfound purpose I would say um I basically hit a point after the year mark where something something kind of clicked for me it hit me and it was um Matt loved the way that I lived life and he loved the the way I loved life and he, he loved my sense of adventure and that I traveled and he loved my sense of humor and my smile and all the things that he loved were the things that I was no longer doing and um I just realized that I wasn't living the healthiest best way that I could obviously um but I was done it was my daughter only has one parent left and I need to take care of myself and I need to take care of myself mentally and physically because if something happened to me that I would never be able to forgive myself at this point um, I would not be able to bring this little girl into this world and then leave her with no parents um, I couldn't do that and I decided to just start making some little changes. And like I've talked about before, it was as simple as just taking a shower every day and learning how to stick to my decision that day on what I was going to do and go to the grocery store and learn how to start taking care of myself physically, whether it meant getting on medications to help me through some of these parts or whether sometimes it meant taking a weekend away from my kids and taking some self-time to recover and recoup and just either escape reality for a second or be able to just be in my emotions and that was okay. And, um, you know, I obviously will dig into how I came out of this and how I've found my healing and my um my purpose now but I as hard as everything has been and you know I have a lot of people say like wow I could never do that or I could never get through that and I think you're I don't think anybody thinks they could or wants to um until you're in the situations and you know, somehow, some way you come out on the other side. And I am, this wasn't the easy path and it's not anything I ever wished, right? I've said that multiple times. One thing though, with all this pain and sorrow and grief and trauma, uh, is that I don't regret the way that I live now. I love the way I live I say yes to a lot of things. I go. Um, 
I don't have fear anymore about money. Really, I don't have certain fears anymore because I tell you what, when you've lost everything and you've had nothing, absolutely nothing, and you come out of that, there's really nothing that'll scare you ever again. Um, we'll make it out. You know, I'm 100% out of 100% of making it out of these situations so far. And um, fear is only going to hold you back. It's only going to keep you in a place of um, stagnation. So if I can teach you guys anything throughout this is that whatever you're fearful of, release it, let it go. And go live fully. Don't let the little shit get to you. Don't get mad about the socks on the floor. Because I tell you what, I would give anything to pick up some socks on the floor. And I would give anything to cook a meal for him again. And I know it's a lot easier for me to say these things. And I know when you're in it, those feelings are so valid and legit when you're frustrated with somebody. But it's just stuff. And one day you're going to miss the stuff. <laughs> I promise you. So I'm sorry this was emotional. And I know I said sorry many times. Um, and it's still a learning process for me to just um, own, right, that I'm emotional about this and that I will feel this probably forever. But um, it's true and it's genuine and it's real and it's the only way I know how to be. So I just really appreciate all of you guys listening and all of your support and your love and your outpoured words and comments and messages of so much love. And um, to all my family and friends who have helped me get to where I'm at now, I can't say thank you enough. So I love you all. And I really, really, really am blessed. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Twisted Sisters podcast. We'll now leave you with a little bit of wisdom from Allie and Samantha. Imperfection is beauty. Madness is genius. And it's better to be absolutely ridiculous than absolutely boring. Twisted, Twisted sisters. sisters. We're all a little twisted. <laughs>